This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. Hey, this is Jesse. How's it going, Jesse? I'm all right. How about you, Scott? Well, I'm almost back to normal now. (laughs) Just uh, finished the Fiddler on the Roof run at the community theater. Which takes one heck of a lot of time. I can't believe every time we finish one of those how much it takes to put that on. Um, really cold, too, up there, right? Well, it's not bad. I mean, right now it's uh, it's a no, little No, I bit. mean up on the roof. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't the part I had to play. I, I, oh, got, I got to stay in the sound booth. So um, I ran the, the lighting board and the sound board. So that was my job. My wife was the director. My son was in it. And my daughter ran the spotlight. wow yeah family business now it was it was fun but uh, it was very successful so we're all happy and uh, it was a good time Uh, it's a musical right yeah yeah so everybody's singing not throughout the whole thing um no no but i mean you know all the actors are singing. yeah yeah sure enough yeah it's interesting it is it's it was fun it's a good play if you ever had a chance to see it go see it I, oh, I've seen the movie. I haven't oh. seen the play. Mm-hmm. I, I think the movie's excellent. Yeah, yeah. You know, with, with musicals and stuff, uh, I think going to see the play is a lot more interesting than the movies in almost every case. I can't think of a case where that wasn't true. You're um, probably right. But yeah, um, Phantom of the Opera. I haven't seen that many, you know, because <laughs> I live in rural Idaho, so uh, to go see a... Um, a play like that, it would have to show up at Salt Lake City, probably. And Salt Lake City actually does get a lot, but um, it's kind of a major trip to, you know, we're not that far away, a couple hours away. But um, It'd have to be a good show. Enough to be, yeah, you bet. So I've seen a few that way, but, but the and plays are always were, funner. You're going to do what? which one next? Um, on Mother's Day, I'm, I'm the director, and we're going to do Pride and Prejudice. I found, mm-hmm. a, found a script for that. So, um, yeah, and it all takes place in Elizabeth's house, the script that I found. So Mm -hmm. there's no, you know, giant ball dance or anything like that. And and this is over Mother's Day weekend. So it's kind of aimed at the moms and, uh, that I I think that'll be a successful play. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to have a draw. Yeah. Plus the, the other part of it is there's 11 women in this play. And, uh, every time we have a play here in town, we get, uh, you know, 57 women show up to try out, and like two guys show up to try out. <laughs> well, so it's always work a, out. it's always a fight to get, uh, you know, to find guys to be in it, you know. So, which what is about interesting. Mr. You know? Darcy, is that going to be you? No, I'm gonna. I'm the director. I'm not in it too. I, I avoid who's, that at all costs. Mr. Darcy going to be? Oh, we, we'll try out in February. In Some dark, a dark-haired brooding man. That's right. <laughs> it's all in, up in the air. Yeah. So, um, but I, I like your idea about the zombies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't prejudice in zombies as the play. I, I, right. I think I think that would add a a lot of a lot to the audience. Yes, it'd be a unique experience. Um, so what the. We we pick uh, various audience members to be zombies, so, and yeah, just come up they at various stumble times. Up, when stumble up on stalls in the plot, <laughs> and then uh, Elizabeth can uh, find some kind of a weapon to to take their head clean off their body. 
That'll work. All right. Looks like I have some makeup effects to figure out. <coughs> <laughs> That's good stuff. Hey, I finished um, Freakonomics, Super Freakonomics. Uh, what did you, you, you think? Were, you were talking to me about that, and, uh, That's and I, great. I popped it That's in. It's a great audiobook. I really liked it. Yeah, first thing, you know, I've noticed when, when I'm listening to audiobooks, it's much easier to listen to nonfiction than fiction while I'm working, you know? <laughs> So something like Super Freakonomics, you know, I was able to put in and, and kind of have on. And then, you know, I backed up a few times. Um, I, I really enjoyed the uh, uh, the last chapter, which was about uh, the environment. Uh, yeah, it was it was very fascinating, wasn't it? It was. It really Technologies was. Technologies and, and all the stuff that they're, you yeah. know, they're sort of breaking the conventional thinking about, about global uh, climate change. Right, right. Yeah, and and I was thinking, um, I had just listened to uh, you and Luke uh, in conversation, which is on Luke's uh, uh, science fiction book review podcast feed. Right. And uh, you guys were talking about Isaac Asimov, and, um, you know, I, I've heard a few times now how, you know, Foundation, you know, is not as highly regarded as it used to be. Um, but anyway, I was listening to Super Freakonomics, and I'm thinking, you know, hey, to me, in a way, this is psychohistory. Um, in a way, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure uh, what, what's psychohistory and what's what's freakonomics about because I, well, I I see they're connected, but it's uh, not an obvious connection. To well, me. in psychohistory, um, Asimov was saying that you know using these mathematical equations and probabilities, you could um, guess the future, um, you know, of large amounts of people. As as you got down to uh, single people, you, you couldn't predict what a single person would do, but you could predict what a city full of people might do or a nation full of people might yeah. do with a good probability. Right. right. So in Freakonomics, you know, what they're doing is they're taking data and they're coming up with things like, you know, hey, 75% of the time um, when, you know, what was the problem that they were talking about where um, – uh, they did an experiment where a person was given twenty dollars, and they said you can give this other person um, either oh, half, right. half your money yeah, or only two bucks or something like that. And there was lots of variations of that same experiment, right. but they were coming up with okay in these exact conditions, seventy-five percent of the time people will do this, right? Right. So I, that just kind of clicked in my mind, you know, having so freshly heard you and Luke that uh, you know, and I am an Asimov fan. I still really like him. Um, that, uh, As you should. Asimov's great, but uh -huh. I, I think I think his point is is valid in that um, his point is that foundation. I mean, certainly the idea, you know, the idea behind psychohistory is a, is a great science fictional idea. But I I agree that uh, the foundation series is much overblown, um, especially as it gets on in the book series. Right. I mean, so a, by overblown, you just mean too popular for what it is. Yeah, because okay. it's not that good writing. I mean, it's I not it's, Asimov. It's true, Asimov, writes Asimov is the the clearest writer. I think that was his talent. He was absolutely crystal clear and totally, you know, crystal clear meaning transparent. I mean, he I agree. The the, the perfect non-existent narrator. And I, I, um I think he, he writes very well. I agree, but that's not my point. My point is um you know, it's a it's a one of the first science fiction trilogies. Uh-huh. If not the first um, that got extended and extended and extended, it started off as short stories, and yeah. as I think short stories, you you get the ninety nine percent of the content. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and the novels, I mean, think, think about the characters. Harry Seldon's not much of a character. Yeah. He's a, he's a, he's an interesting, uh, icon, but he's not mm-hmm. much of a character. Yeah. He's an idea. Yeah. I, yeah. I think the caves of steel is a much better novel than the first foundation. Well, the novel. foundation isn't a novel. It's a, it's a collection of stories. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it is considered a novel now that it's it's a fix-up, right? You take a bunch of short well, stories. Yeah, I don't think that they fixed it up, though. Isn't it exactly the same content? I That's mean, what a fix-up is. is oh, I thought a, a fix-up. I thought a fix-up meant you you strung them together and added material in it to try you and make it you seem. You can like add that. material. So, um, in the case of uh, Black Destroyer by A. E. Van Vogt, um, that that got fixed up with uh, connected material, or like. Um, uh, Martian Chronicles, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a bunch of, sh- or even the best example, I guess, would be um, uh, the Illustrated Man, mm-hmm. which With is a whole bunch of separate material. stories. Yeah, connected by another. But story. that's not sold as a novel either. That's still a collection. The Illustrated Man. Yeah, I think I think people think of it as a novel. Oh, do they? I think so. I mean, it, it, it's less obvious, but mm-hmm. it doesn't. And that, that's not my point. My point is that uh, I think. If you just read the psycho psycho historians, you would get it's like I think think of what Luke's main. I mean, we didn't talk about Foundation that much, but I think mm-hmm. Luke's point about um, Nightfall it works great as a short story. Yeah, the novel written by the great uh, Isaac Asimov and the amazing Robert Silverberg mm-hmm. is pretty crappy. Right, right. It shouldn't be that crappy. It's it's a commercial venture. Not a successful science fiction venture, in in my estimation. Mm-hmm. Not that they can't be one and the same. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it wasn't that long ago that I read um, Foundation. I'm pretty sure I reviewed it. It must have been a few years ago because mm-hmm. uh, Scott Brick re-recorded it for Books on Tape. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, I don't know if I reviewed all three of them, but I think I heard all three of them. But um, anyway, I enjoyed them. I enjoyed them a great deal. It, it's like a big chess game. Those books. Um, I you know, I, I really I really enjoyed them when I read them, but mm-hmm. I also realized that I don't think I'm gonna ever need to read them again. Sure, I think they're making a movie, which is probably not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, to be honest with you, I can't really. I, they they I actually didn't exactly do that bad a job with the uh, iRobot adaptation. I, 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 I don't, you know, yeah, been, out of all the uproar that that caused, um, iRobot had Asimov. Been a lot Asimov worse. was in there. I mean, there was. You know, various points throughout the movie that were, uh, you know, that you could see him in there. And I thought that was cool. Um, you know, you always worry, you know, we talked about, you know, Flash Forward and how they took the scientists from the novel and they made them into, uh, what, cops and doctors, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, anyway, they did the same thing in iRobot, you know, put Will Smith on there and give him a badge. And then, um, you know, I guess that's It's that's different like medium, different story, right? It's what? Different mediums, different, different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the foundation is not action packed. Well, it's not yeah. action packed. It's, it's yeah. one guy, you know, on a spaceship going to another planet to talk to some other guy on yeah, another it's planet. Really, yeah, it's really a, a, a bunch of conversations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, and a lot of and a lot of um, narrative backstory, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not all driven through dialogue. So true. Yeah. Not to say that that's necessarily wrong, but right. That is well, that. Speaking of science fiction movies, 
Um, mm-hmm. Did you see, uh, if we get into our new arrivals here, in, um, on Audible, they now have uh, three Stanislaw Lem's uh, novels. I don't know. Uh, yeah, he was telling us they were coming, right? Yeah, he sure was. And uh, um, Steve Feldberg, right? Interview. Calling them up here. Um, the one of them is called "Memoirs uh, Found in a Bathtub." Mm-hmm. And I, re- I remember he was, he talked to us about those. Here we go. I'm calling that up right now. Um. By the way, I don't see any review of um, Foundation. Oh, you don't? Okay. No. Well, I'll maybe have to re-listen to it since I'm so enamored with it. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be kind of fun to to listen to it and uh, talk about it, um, you know, as respects to what's coming out today and everything. There was a um, uh, Ziggurat production came to us as a recent arrival Mm -hmm. of um, Isaac Asimov's Foundation Series Book 1, Part 2, The Encyclopedists. it published in 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember ever seeing that. Did somebody go out to review and never get reviewed? I don't know. I, don't, I haven't. Uh, I don't recall where that went. Uh, okay. Came at r- around the same time as Captain's Glory by uh, uh, William Shatner and Hunters of Dune. Right. Yeah. I have to look through the I'm stats. I'm pretty sure I listened to Captain's Glory. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Hey, Memoirs Found in a Bathtub, Stanislaw Lem, read by uh, Jeff Woodman. Mm-hmm. Um, the year is 3149, and a vast paper-destroying blight paperalysis has obliterated much of the planet's written history. However, these rare memoirs, preserved for centuries in a volcanic rock, record the strange life of a man trapped in a hermetically sealed underground community. That is Memoirs Found in a Bathtub by Stanislaw Lem. So I guess we're doing new, new, uh, new releases then, hey? Yeah, yeah. Well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just didn't realize that until you started reading. Oh, all right. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, now Stanislaw Lem, he did Solaris, right? Yeah. Yep, and that was a George Clooney movie. Which... Wow, the R- Russian movie is, is, is probably, you know, the original Russian movie version is. Yeah, oh, wait. That, that I is Solaris Stanislaw? Yeah, it is. I think it is. Yeah. The other two um, that are here at it's Audible by Stanislaw Lem is uh, His Master's Voice, um, read by Nick Sullivan. And uh, this is exciting, by the way, because Stanislaw Lem doesn't exist anywhere in audio that I'm aware of. Um, and this is kind of neat stuff. Uh, yeah. His Master's Voice is here's a summary. Here is a witty and inventive satire of men of science and their thinking as a team of scientists races to decode a mysterious message from space. I had the feeling that I was standing at the cradle of a new mythology. At last, a last will and testament, we as the posthumous heirs of them. Mm. And that's the end of the description. That one's uh, nine hours long. It's, it's in the inverse of Russian movies. Russian movies are always nine hours long and the novels are <laughs> short. Gotcha. And then the last one that's out is Fiasco, uh, narrated by Oliver Wyman, who's a great narrator. Um, the planet Quinta is pocked by ugly mounds and covered by a spiderweb-like network. It is a kingdom of phantoms and of a beauty afflicted by madness. In stark contrast, the crew of the spaceship Hermes represents a knowledge-seeking Earth. As they approach Quinta, 
a dark poetry takes over and leads them into a nightmare of misunderstanding. Wow. 14 hours on that one. I can't remember the last Lem story I read. I read one... Oh, shoot. I I can't even remember the name of it, though. But it was about... uh, It was almost like a... um, not not a fable. I can't remember. It's like a fairy tale almost mm-hmm. with robots in it. Okay. Yeah, and it was in a volume of a world treasury of science fiction. I was looking through at the library, and uh, it had stuff from all over the world in it. Now, Stanislaw Lem uh, is Polish. Is that right? Uh, Lem is from the Soviet Union. Uh, oh, is he? Okay. As to his national or- origin, I can't remember. I think he was. I think he's from the Soviet Union. Okay. I could be wrong. Gotcha. It's definitely Eastern. Yeah, yeah. Um, One other Audible Frontiers book that's out now is Diving Into the Wreck by Christine Catherine Rush. Um, Calling that up here. This is about uh, Boss Loves to Dive Historical Ships. Derelict spacecraft found adrift in the blackness between the stars. Sometimes she salvages for money, but mostly she's an active historian. She wants to know about the past, to experience it firsthand. Once she's dived for the ship, she'll either leave it for others to find or file a claim that she can bring tourists to dive it as well. It's a good life for a tough loner with more interest in artifacts than people. Then one day, Boss finds the claim of a lifetime, an enormous spacecraft incredibly old and apparently Earth-made. It's impossible for something so old, but in the days before faster and light travel to have journeyed this far from Earth. It shouldn't be here. It can't be here. And yet it is. Boss's curiosity is up, and she's determined to investigate. She hires a group of divers to explore the wreck with her, the best team she can assemble. But some secrets are best kept hidden, and the past won't give up its treasures without exacting a price in blood. Hmm. There you go. Uh, read what was by, that one called? It's called Diving Into the Wreck. Okay. Narrated by Jennifer Van Dyke. Hmm. Not, not read anything by her. Good sized book, nine hours, 45 minutes. So, anyway, that's what's new from Audible Frontiers. There's probably got, uh, uh, a dozen more. I, I, I'm just looking at the new releases. It looks like they've got some more um, uh, Badge of Infamy is a Lester Del Rey novel that's um, up on Audible. It's, okay. uh, that was p- part of one of the previous SFF Audio challenges. Oh, uh-huh. Uh, and, and that's by uh, Jim Sin Recordings. Yeah. Did those, yeah. Narrated by Emmett Casey. Nice to see, um, uh, you know, some of these older... Yeah, it's only three hours, but it's an excellent novel. Mm-hmm. Um, nice to see some of the older SF coming up as well as the newer. Mm-hmm. I've been listening to um, uh, Armor by John Stakely. Mm-hmm. And that's the guy who wrote the... Um, he's only written two novels. One called One's called... Armor. The other one's called uh, Vampires with a dollar sign where the S is. Mm-hmm. And that's the one that got turned into a uh, uh, John Carpenter movie. Oh, John Carpenter's Vampires? I like that one. Right. Which I think was actually pretty good. Um, I'm wondering if they're going to do the audiobook version of that novel. Uh, Vampires would be interesting. Yeah. Uh, interesting c- concept. Mm-hmm. Sort of mercenaries out to. Uh, Mercenaries sent by the Vatican, no less. Yeah, <laughs> out to w- wipe up vampires. That's right. It's kind of interesting. You bet. 
Did you see uh, The Blue Tower by Evelyn E. Smith, narrated by Pat Botino? I know he's one of your Oh, favorites. right. That was, um, that was one of our... Uh, oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. Also by that was one Recording. Of, uh, I believe that was in the SFF Audio Challenge as well. Mm-hmm. It's only $3.47 at Audible. 40 minutes long. Yeah. It says, um, in this story, Earth has been taken over by a benevolent alien race that now does all the manual labor and allows humans to lead a life of leisure. Their motto is, be happy, and Earth has become a paradise. Humans, being what they are, though, can't leave well enough alone. So yeah, um, yep. it's amazing how much content's on Audible. constantly surprised. Yeah, it's good. It's fantastic. All right, and we've got some stuff here from Brilliance that was originally um, Audible Frontiers. And recent arrivals. Yes. Uh huh. Um, what I've got here is two books by E.E. E. Knight. Um, both of them are from a series called The Vampire Earth. Um, the first one I have is Volume 7, uh, which is called Fall with Honor. And the second one is Volume 8 called Winter Duty. And I don't know if the other volumes are there, if you could take a look. I can have a look. Um, let's see. Uh, Freedom is on the march. This is the Fall with Honor. Freedom is on the march as the rebellion against the Curian occupation of Earth takes the offensive. David Valentine has recruited an ad hoc company of former Quisling soldiers to put them through a trial by fire with a successful raid against an enemy armory. Now they're ready to join forces with the guerrilla army planning to establish a new freehold in the Appalachian Mountains. Valentine knows that a permanent outpost near the East Coast would provide a strategic victory over the Curians, and he believes that only his old friend and ally, An Ka, could possibly be leading the guerrillas on such a daring endeavor. But nothing could prepare Valentine's fighter for what awaits them at the end of their journey. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it, the entire series is on Audible Frontiers. Oh, is it? Okay. Like. Yeah. Very cool. So, uh, the first book in the series. Okay, Christian Rummel is the narrator of both of these ones, mm-hmm. and, and uh, it looks like there's an introduction or something from E.E. E. Yeah. Knight in the. Uh, and there is in the in the hard copy as well. Both of them include an exclusive introduction by the author. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So it looks to be kind of a zombie slash vampire world with uh, resistance fighters. Um, there's also another series um, by that author called. Um, the Vampire, oh, the va- Vampire Earth is what we're looking at, and the other series is called Age of Fire, which is about dragons. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, number two in the Honorverse has also come in. This is a giant book, 31 hours, nine minutes long. How many CDs or MP3 CDs? Tw- 26 CDs. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, it's giant. It's pretty heavy. I pulled a hammy trying to lift it. Um <laughs> So this is the second volume, I believe, in the Honor Harrington series. It's called The Shadow of Saganami. And we've talked about this series quite often. Honor Harrington, yeah. Yeah, Honor Harrington. So looks like uh, um, I think Audible actually has all of them out. Um, oh, wait a minute. I, uh, they're working on it. I don't know if okay. they... There's uh, a lot know, in I'm, that I series. Must be, I must sure. be confused because on the, on the edge here it says book one in the Honorverse series. But I thought... It says the Honor Verse has a new generation, but it's by David Weber, so I probably need more information to be able to tell you what this really is. Um, Because I think the uh, 
We've had the first one of the Honor Harrington series come through already, and it wasn't this one. Oh, so there's probably an Honor verse, and then uh, yeah. And, uh, um, I'm wondering if maybe this doesn't isn't an Honor Harrington, but it says Honor Harrington's oh, hand on the back. Honor Harrington's handpicked elite space and battle ready all new solo adventure by David Weber, performed by Jay Snyder. Uh, the Star Kingdom has a new generation of officers, an elite group handpicked and trained by Honor Harrington herself. So this is like a new series, I guess. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. So there it is. 26 hours. 26 hours. No, 31 hours. 26 oh, 31 days. hours. <laughs> you bet. All right. Now I've got two uh, classic books that uh, were originally Audible Frontiers, and now they're mm-hmm. on hard copy by Brilliance. Childhood's End. Wow. And Rendezvous with Rama. Um, now, I think Childhood's End does hold up. Yes, I agree. Um, I agree. To repeated listing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Childhood's End and Rendezvous with Rama. I don't like Rendezvous with Rama from what I've... I, I, I've tried to start that novel several times. Well, I, I've read it, and it's a very passive novel, <laughs> um, which may be why you didn't like it. It's not yeah. action-packed. It's just... Um, I, I found it interesting. You know, it was long, long ago that I read it, and I remember it quite well. Yeah, it's sort um, of realistic, I guess, is the problem. <laughs> yeah. Did you did well, you happen to see, speaking of realistic, on um, on The Onion, they had an ad for the next uh, Call of Duty? No. And it was, uh, oh, maybe it wasn't Call of Duty. What's the one What's the one that's so realistic that people are actually disturbed by it right now? Mm, game? Yeah. Not Fallout Three. <laughs> no, it's not Fallout Three. It's uh... oh shoot! Isn't it Call of Duty? Call of Duty. Uh, uh, don't I, they have I, some special ones come out? There's Call a of... new. There's a new Call of Duty out. Yeah, Modern Warfare Two. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Modern Warfare Two was the the one where they have they actually have a you're in a terrorist cell and you have to mow down civilians or you're with well, a group that's doing You have so. the option, I think, to yeah. mow down civilians. So anyway, so that's what they were disturbed about. So anyway, on The Onion, they said, you know, Modern Warfare 3, I think it was, and they said, um, this is the most realistic uh, military adventure ever. You spend most of your time, you know, smoking cigarettes and, and uh, <laughs> repairing, like, uh, diesel engines and waiting for yeah. paperwork and stuff. But anyway, it was, right. it was a funny ad. Anyway, back to Rendezvous with Rama. They... Uh, yeah, they just spend a lot of time looking through a spaceship that's pretty much empty of aliens. Um, yeah, you know, I they're, think they're it's an interesting exercise, and it should have been a short story. Yeah, it could have been. It could have been. Should have it's been. Not, it's not very long. <laughs> it's not very long. Uh, well, nine hours. Uh, I'd be up for uh, Childhood's End. For okay. Sure. And Childhood's End uh, is read by Eric Michael Summer. Oh, he's and, good. Uh, this might be interesting to contrast with V, that series that's going on right now, which I have not actually it's watched. Hideous. It's hideous. Is it really? It. I haven't watched it. But I remember the original V, and I was uh, upset at the time because I said, Child of Zen did that. You know, and that was yeah, back, that was back when a, I didn't understand. It's a ripoff of a bunch of stuff. And this uh-huh. one, it, it's just hideous. It's, it, it, mm. it takes the exact same story and makes it much worse. Oh, boy. Much, much worse. I, 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 I tried to watch the second episode three times, and I just couldn't. Oh, boy. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty, pretty bad. Wow. I, I was intending to watch it all the way through, and I just couldn't. <laughs> but wow. I hear the, the other prisoner is even worse. The new, the new other prisoner? prisoner? Yeah, the re- they remade the prisoner. Oh, no kidding. I didn't know that. Yeah, and it's everybody's saying it's terrible. 
Oh boy. I think um I think Greg Marguerite actually mentioned that too. Oh really? On her yeah. on your uh, Howard, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> cool. All right, well I have a stack here of three Edgar Allan Poe audiobooks. Oh, is that um from uh Poe Audio? Uh yeah, poeaudio.com. Um that's P O E audio.com. Um also I think the parent company is Acoustic Learning. Yeah. Okay, so I, I don't know if they have a website. Um, but they anyway, these, these are interesting audios, um, looking at them. Um, the first one, you know, they're not, they're not your average stuff. Uh, the first one is called Edgar Allan Poe Presents the Pioneers. It's read by Christopher Arufo. And uh, let's see, it contains, let's see... Oh, maybe the description I read was actually on the website because there's not much of a description on the back. Um, it tells what's what stories are in it on most of them, I think. Okay, yeah. On the back of this one, it says "Hands Befall: Details of an Unprecedented Journey Through the Earth's Atmosphere and Beyond." So these are like science fiction stories by Poe. Yeah. The Journal of Julius Rodman: The Incredible Experiences of the First ed- Expedition Ever to Cross the Rocky Mountains, which was that would be so cool to hear because. Uh, that's science fiction, huh? <laughs> it was it, science fiction then, maybe. It, well, 1858 is is around the time, I think. Oh, if it's 1858, then there were people on the other side of those mountains, right? Yeah, but the the, the you know California was settled before the yeah. people had explored everything, right? You bet. And the balloon hoax is the astounding route of the steering balloon Victoria across the Atlantic Ocean. And then it just mentions that also included our stories called Stonehenge, The Island of the Fae, Harper's Ferry, The Capital at Washington, and Morning on the Wissahickon. Wissahickon. <laughs> Must be a... Yeah, yeah it, that, it says the Stonehenge one is some account of Stonehenge. Uh-huh. Um, and the Journal of Julius Rodman. Yeah, this um, this is... what The way he's worked it is... Um, each of these is a, a collection of Poe stories, um, and I think that's collection number nine. There's uh-huh. also, do you have a collection ten there as well? I have collection ten is Deus et Machina. Machina, Machina right. Deus et et Machina. Right, Machina. God and, and Machine. Okay, and let's see, it's got uh, the facts in the case of M. Valdemar by the power of mesmeric spell, an invalid soul is... An invalid's soul is trapped at the exact moment of death. An invalid soul. Yeah. <laughs> that, sounds like, um, that sounds like a uh, robot soul or something. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Sorry, that does not compute. <laughs> a story called Van Kempelen and His Discovery. The legendary formula pursued by alchemists throughout the ages will finally be secret no more. Is all that it gives there. And then there's a list of what's in here. Um... Mesmeric Revelation, um, Cabs, A Moving Chapter, Street Paving, Wooden Pavement, Try a Mineralized Pavement, <laughs> <laughs> The Daguerreotype. Daguerreotype. Daguerreotype, okay. That's a kind of photography. Ah, okay. The Conversation of Eros and Charmian, The Power of Words, The Colloquy of Manos and Una, Anastatic printing and a chapter on science and art. This is um, uh, it, it's I I think it's not mostly fiction. I think this is the case of um, 
most of those are um, uh, articles. Mm-hmm. Oh, so cool. they're Edgar Allan Poe report, reporting like uh, on scientific advancement. Daguerreotypes, one of the first kinds of photography. I think the picture we have of, of Poe himself is a daguerreotype. Uh-huh. Okay. Very nice. And then the other one that I have um, is called The Cask of Amontillado and Other Stories, which is six through eight, it says in the corner. Right. Okay. And uh, The Cask of Amontillado, inflamed by intolerable insult, mantra sore, and enacts a chillingly gruesome revenge. Yeah, that's that's a classic. Oh, yeah. It's oh. a good story. You bet. Uh, the Premature Burial. Tortured by dreams of living death, a man suddenly finds himself trapped in his worst nightmare. Message found in a bottle. The sole survivor of a sudden storm is lost on a phantom freighter, doomed to an unknown destiny. The ob- now, now, that I'm not 100% sure, but I think that's related to a manuscript found in a copper cylinder, uh-huh. um, which is a Canadian novel, science fiction novel. Oh. Um, I think he, he was responding to it, or vice versa. I can't oh. remember which, which it was. Okay. Um, the Oblong Box. An ordinary voyage is cursed by its strange and mysterious cargo. Uh, Lagia. In a, the fever of an opium dream, a man struggles with the relentless, restless... <laughs> In the fever of an opium dream, a man struggles with the restless spirit of his deceased wife. And then also included are Eleonora, The Lighthouse, and The Oval Portrait. So that's a good, uh, let's see... Three and a half hours of post stories on that one. That's now, is that is that a uh, are those part of our uh, challenge titles? Because I know yeah, that we have we have three to give away and three as review copies. Great. We got in a bunch of prizes for the SFF Audio Challenge. Most of them came in very last minute, but um, I do believe you've got the stack there. Um, I do. do you have Swoon by Nina Malkin? Swoon, yes, I do. Right here. From Simon and Schuster. Yes, it is right. Um, it's read by Caitlin Greer. Mm-hmm. Um, it says, uh, "Torn from her native New York City and dumped in the land of cookie cutter preps, Candace is resigned to accept her posh, dull fate. Nothing ever happens in Swoon, Connecticut, until Dice's perfect, privileged cousin Penelope nearly dies in a fall from an old tree, and her spirit intertwines with that of a ghost." It's a ghost story. Yeah. Sure is. So that's Swoon by Nina Malkin. It's it look A. That'd be my guess. Uh-huh. It doesn't say so on it. Um just says fiction. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know anymore either. I mean, so much of the the teen stuff that's out there now is um all about It's only eight CDs. That that does lend credence to the idea. It's a short <laughs> It's uh-huh. it's for kids because the kids' ones are shorter, yeah. or the younger ones are shorter. Um, right, right. As in under twenty six CDs. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, right. That's right. Now the next one, Star Trek, you got in. Uh-huh. Um, you yep. you actually did our review for that as well, right? I did. You bet. You bet. Yep. So that's there, and we also have um, Earth Abides, which we've talked about before from uh, right. Brilliance Audio. So we've got that as well. Um, has anyone done a review of that yet? Of Earth Abides? No, they have not. Well, um, if we've got a review copy, yeah, uh, sure do. put me down for being interested. Okay, I'll send it up there. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, Eric Rex, 
Derek this is a series Rex. by yes. Kaza Kingsley. That's right. I've got three of those. Looks like. Um, let's see if I can determine what order they go in. The Come Dragon's on. Eye is book one in the series. Okay. The Dragon's Eye we have. And this one does say uh, family listening. Okay. Um, so, yeah, read by Simon Jones. All three. Oh, Simon Jones is great. Yeah, he should be terrific. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, the only thing I've heard him narrate is um, Hitchhiker's Guide. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, in that, he was acting, right? It, yeah. It's not, I mean, he's narrating a, a role, but he's not uh, a narrator per se. And um, I do believe he does the most recent uh, uh, book in the Hitchhiker's Guide series by... Um, uh, Owen Colfer. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, uh, he's doing the narrate narration on that, but um, he sh- he should be an excellent narrator. He did yeah. the um, he's the main character in that audio drama series uh, that I um, oh yeah reviewed recently. That's right, and uh, yeah. I'm very much in favor. Of yeah, I'm a I'm a fan of his. Yeah, he's a great great performer. So Eric Rex, um, the Dragon's Eye. The description is this. Life is not easy for a 12-year-old Eric Rex. His single mother can barely support her six adopted kids, and they've moved into an apartment so tiny that Eric sleeps with a washing machine. Worse, there is a strange force within Eric that is making him do odd things. His urge to obey these thoughts grows until it becomes impossible to resist them. Then one morning, Eric's mother is missing. The force inside him commands him to find her, leading him on an adventure that will change him forever. When he arrives in Alipium, a hidden world where old knowledge and magic is kept, Eric learns that his mother and the entire kingdom are in peril, and he might be the only one who can save them. It says ages 10 and up, or grades 5 and up. Very cool. So we have not only that one, but we have one called The Search for Truth, Eric Rex. That's book three. And then The Monsters of Otherness. And that's book two. All right, very cool. And they're all... um Eight, uh, nine, and eleven CDs, so relatively short. Uh, very good, very good. We got one uh, called Leviathan. This is probably the one I'm Ooh. most excited about. Scott Westerfield, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, read by Alan Cumming, and uh, with an afterword by the author. The, oh, the Alan paperback yeah. version. Yeah, the paperback version of this has tons of beautiful illustrations. I posted some a while ago. Oh yes. Um, uh-huh. When I heard about this CD coming out, right. but uh, I guess we don't get that with the audiobook version. <laughs> it is the cusp of World War One, and all the European powers are arming up. The Austro-Hungarians and the Germans have their clankers, steam-driven iron machines loaded with guns and ammunition. The British Darwinists employ fabricated animals as their weaponry. The Leviathan is a living airship, the most formidable air beast in the skies of Europe. Alexander Ferdinand, prince of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, is on the run. His own people have turned on him. His title is worthless. All he has is a battle-torn stormwalker and a loyal crew of men. It's like a, a steam-powered mech, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, it does, yeah. This is, yeah, it's neat. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of really into airships at the moment. I posted a story about... Um, about uh, Zeppelins the other day, and uh-huh. I'm watching, um, I went to the library, and I got um, The Hindenburg. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of this movie? Uh, no, I haven't heard of the movie. I've heard it's, of the uh, starts, yeah, it's, it's based on an oh, incident. It's, uh-huh. it's actually based on a novel. This, this movie is based on a novel, which is based on the incident, and um, the, uh, it stars George C. Scott as a, 
uh, Luftwaffe pilot who gets recruited to prevent the destruction of the Hindenburg. There's a plot to destroy it. Um, it's directed by Robert Wise. Mm-hmm. You know him? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he he's a great Star director. Trek, Star Trek, the motion picture. He did the first Star Trek movie, but he also did um, uh, The Andromeda Strain mm-hmm. and um, uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still, I believe, and oh. the original one. The original one, yeah. And a um, bunch of other science fiction movies. And this is, this is um, I'm really surprised I hadn't, um, I had heard of this movie and I, I'd heard that it was bad. And I guess that's why I hadn't um, watched it before, but... It's just great to see um, real airships doing – I mean, in this case, it's a fake airship. It's, it's all matte paintings and stuff. But uh-huh. um, it's great to see airships you know, in action and showing what they're really like. I mean, it does end, I assume, in the uh, destruction of the Hindenburg. But um, the thing is, is airships are dangerous because mm-hmm. weather's dangerous, right? Right. Um, but what people don't know is that you know the – the um, Graf Zeppelin transported 14,000 people uh, without killing anyone, right? Back and forth across the Atlantic many, many times and up into the North Pole and all sorts of danger. Uh, they were doing dangerous things with them in many cases, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the Titanic sank right. <laughs> crossing the, uh, the Atlantic. Um, it's, it's dangerous back then. <laughs> now, today it would be less dangerous. And, and obviously the biggest danger, I'm like, an apologist for airships here. Um, the biggest danger was uh, the hydrogen, and they knew it was dangerous. Um, so they're, you know, they confiscate all the lighters and uh, any uh, m- metal that you would be going onto the ship with. They don't want any accidental sparking, right? Right, right. Um, but um, they knew it was dangerous. But the problem was. Hydrogen was only only thing available. Only the United States had heli- the ability to make helium, mm-hmm. and so uh, you know if they had had the option of using helium, they would have, but they didn't. Helium yeah. was, it was a, but the helium's not flammable, right? Right. No, hydrogen's highly flammable, and yeah. it's also you know extremely dangerous. Is that what they use? They use helium in uh, like blimps, you know, the yeah. Goodyear blimp yeah. now and yeah. stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, it is kind of, uh, you know, why aren't they in more common use? Uh, well, um, the technology went, right? The, uh-huh. you, you lose the technology, and they're working on it. There's, there's new, um, new ideas. One guy is talking about um, using uh, semi-rigid airships for transport, faster, sort of an in-between uh, ocean transport and aircraft transport, mm-hmm. because... Um, you know, if you want to get your goods from Asia, which is where goods are made now, to North America, um, you can put it on a ship and it'll take a couple of weeks. Or you can put it on an airplane and it'll take a couple of hours or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, less than 24 hours. Um, but there's nothing in between that, those two. Mm-hmm. And airships are faster than ships, but they're not as fast as airplanes. Right. So right. he thinks there's a market uh, for making, you know, um, semi-rigid uh transport aircraft that would be cool yeah, yeah. there would um, be a i'm in favor be. of anything that makes airships popular again <laughs> it just uh, look if you look at the videos um on the um on the post i did about the, the lecture on airships um you can see it's just an amazing an amazing amazing technology that is just it, it's it's kind of like you know the landing on the moon it's 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 a uh something we've lost the technology for and nobody's 
nobody's been working on it. So mm-hmm. if we had kept going, if World War II hadn't happened, if we had kept going with the tech, we would have uh, been in a very different world than we are now. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Makes me want to listen to that uh, sequel to Airborne. Um, oh, like Kenneth Oppel. Yeah. Kenneth Oppel series. Yeah. The yeah. second one's called Skybreaker. I'm thinking of doing that. Very soon. Neat. Yeah, I'm doing a, a youth group at the library. We think we discussed it once before. Mm-hmm. So I've been um, reading some YA lately, you know, trying to read what they read, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, anyway, they had some Kenneth Opples because one of them, uh, he said, I have to read a science fiction book for my English class at school. They actually assigned different genres and they wanted Good. to read a science fiction. So um, I said, you know, well, that Kenneth Opple book could work, yeah. It's fantasy. Uh, fant- that one's fantasy? It's fantasy because it's alternate oh. history. Oh, I thought alternate history was science fiction. It's, it, it's, it's a good question. This one is uh, – I, I would classify it as fantasy because um, it sort of has uh, um, mythical substances. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, the, the ship is not filled with helium or hydrogen. It's filled with um, lithium or something like that, gotcha. which is – which is a you know a non-existent lifting material. Mm-hmm. Ah, one more thing about airships. I'm kind of obsessed with them. Um, the uh, really fascinating thing about um, airships is if you've got uh, engines on a ship, right? You need mm-hmm. fuel. So um, if you've got gasoline on your ship, you're using to power your engines. Um, as you uh, travel across the Atlantic or wherever you're traveling, your airship is getting lighter and lighter. Because you're using your fuel, mm-hmm. right? This yeah. is a problem. Mm-hmm. So you have to uh, like take on ballast or something, which is a you know to to keep because you start off heavy and you get lighter and lighter. With aircraft, regular aircraft, it's not a problem because um, you want to be lighter, right? Right. right. Uh, whereas with with a balloon, you don't want to be lighter and lighter. You want to keep neutral buoyancy. So this was a problem at first and. Eventually, they came up with a solution. They made a new fuel called blue gas, which is the exact same uh, weight as regular air. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, so as they, they use the, the fuel for the engines, um, they replace it with regular air mm-hmm. and, and it remains neutrally buoyant. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Very, very clever engineering. Yeah. Going. Yeah. All right. That's enough about airships. <laughs> yeah. The one, um, you know, on that YA stuff, I'm reading uh, some Brandon Sanderson right now. It's Alcatraz series. Oh, I'm right. I finished with that. a second of three books currently. And, um, we actually have a review in. Um, I just got a review from uh, Charlene Harmon okay. um, for the first Alcatraz book on audio. So mm-hmm. we'll get that posted here next week. Right. Um, but they're hilarious books. If you have a, a middle grade kid, um, they're absolutely fun. <laughs> He's, Sounds good. Yeah, um, he's he's very witty, and um, what's interesting is a lot of the stuff that he puts in his uh, books as asides. Uh, they're first of all they're funny, and it's the narrator speaking directly to the reader, you know, bypassing the story and you know saying stuff. And uh, often they're insights into how he's putting the book together. Like he'll give a clue or something, and um, neat. Yeah, it is really cool. They're uh, they're fantastic. A lot of fun. Anyway, the the kids all seem everybody who's read them seems to love them. 
Um, you got another YA uh, collection in there called the Dragon series, or um, you know, the Search yeah. for the Dra- Red Dragon is the first in the series. Yeah, it's called the Chronicles of the Imaginarium Geographica. Right. Um, by James A. Owen. I've got four volumes of them. Um, again, they're not num. Oh, they're oh, there they are. Yep, they are numbered. Okay, book four, book three. Okay, book one is actually Here There Be Dragons um, by James A. Owen. And let me read the description there. They're read <laughs> by James Langton, all of them. Um, an unusual murder brings together three strangers, John, Jack, and Charles, on a rainy night in London during the First World War. An eccentric little man called Bert tells them that they are now the caretakers of the Imaginarium Geographica, an atlas of all the lands that have ever existed in myth and legend, fable and fairy tale. These lands, Bert claims, can be traveled to in his ship, the Indigo Dragon, one of only seven vessels that is able to cross the frontier between worlds into the archipelago. archipelago of dreams. Yes. Pursued by strange and terrifying creatures, the companions flee London aboard the dragon ship. Traveling to the very realm of the imagination itself, they must learn to overcome their fears and trust in one another if they are to defeat the dark forces that threaten the destiny of two worlds. And in the process, they will share a great adventure filled with clues that lead listeners to the surprise revelation of the legendary storytellers these men will one day become. So... Um these are the the narrators or the main characters in this are C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah, very cool. Isn't that neat? And Charles, uh, what's his last name? Williams? One of the other Inkling guys. Charles I Williams, I think. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So you've got uh, here. There be I like dragons. That literary is one. idea. Yeah. And then the search for the red dragon is number two. The uh, so, uh, could what? be. I may have them in the wrong order. No, I've got them. They're numbered. Uh, the shadow dragons is number three. And the Indigo King is number four. That's the most recent one. Yeah. That's neat. I'll have to look for those because that's, that's cool. Inklings. I read a book called The Inklings. Uh, about the Inklings. Yeah, about the Inklings. It's uh, by a guy named Carpenter, I think. And mm-hmm. it is available on Audible. Oh, it's an audiobook. Yeah, I think it was a recorded book. Okay. I'm not, I'm not absolutely positive, but... I know I saw it on uh, Audible. Is it like a group biography or something? Yeah, yeah, kind of a, a biography. Yeah, of, yeah, joint biography or whatever. All right, I've got three more that came in from Simon and Schuster. Okay. One's called "Hush Hush" by Becca Fitzpatrick. When I first saw the cover on this, I thought it was underwater. Uh huh. <laughs> I thought it was like the light in the sky is. Um, you know the sun, and it uh, is the sun. <laughs> yeah. The more I looked, I looked at it again, and I realized, no, wait, it's like a Icarus or Daedalus story, right? right? Yeah. Um, read by Caitlin Greer. Romance was not part of Nora Gray's plan. She's never been particularly attracted to the boys at her school, no matter how hard her best friend V pushes them at her. Not until Patch comes along, with his easy smile and eyes that seem to see inside her, Patch draws Nora to him against her better judgment. But after a series of terrifying encounters, Nora is not sure whom to trust. Patch seems to be everywhere she is, and seems to know more about her than her closest friends. She can't decide whether she should fall into his arms or run and hide. And when she tries to seek some answers, she finds herself near a truth that is way more unsettling than anything Patch makes her feel. And and that it totally doesn't sound like uh, SFF material, does uh-huh. it? Well, but then the next yeah. paragraph. Yeah. 
for she is right in the middle of an ancient battle between the immortal and those who have fallen. And when it comes to choosing sides, the wrong choice will cost Nora her life. So, so could that be a fallen angel on the front? I, I think so. I think I think that's the idea. You bet. So, all right. Now I have one called The House of the Scorpion by, uh, by Nancy Farmer. She's won the Newberry three times, it says. Um, read by Raul Esparza. Uh, Mateo Alcatraz. Alacran was not born, he was harvested. His DNA came from El Petron, lord of a country called Opium, a strip of poppy fields lying between the United States and what was once called Mexico. Matt's first cell split and... Okay, Matt's first cell split and divided inside a petri dish. Then he was placed in the womb of a cow, where he continued the miraculous journey from embryo to fetus to baby. He is a boy now, but most consider him a monster, except for El Patron. El Patron loves Matt as he loves himself, because Matt is himself. Super cloning. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, and that it's, one's uh, Sounds cool. interesting. It says, uh, uh, second paragraph, As Matt struggles to understand his existence, he is threatened by a sinister cast of characters, including El Patron's power-hungry family, and he is surrounded by dangerous... Guards. Escape is the only chance Matt has to survive, but escape from Alcran estate, uh, from the Alcran estate, is no guarantee of freedom because Matt is marked by his difference in ways that he doesn't suspect. Mm-hmm. It sounds it sounds really interesting. I, I think, um, especially if it's told from his point of view, mm-hmm. um, yeah, might be very cool. Might be very nifty. All right, uh, now one by Cassandra Clare. It's called The Mortal Instruments, which is actually three novels, all in one MP3 CD edition, which is neat. Is it three MP3 CDs or one um, MP3 CD with three audiobooks on it? It says three MP3 CDs. Okay, that's what I thought. Yep. Um, City of Bones, read by Ari Graynor. City of Ashes, read by Natalie Moore. And City of Glass, read by Natalie Moore. Um, City of Bones, description. 15-year-old Clary Frey witnesses a murder committed by three teenagers covered with strange tattoos and brandishing bizarre weapons. This is Clary's first meeting with the Shadow Hunters, warriors dedicated to ridding the earth of demons. It is also her first encounter with Jace, a Shadow Hunter who looks a little like an angel and acts a lot like a jerk. Hmm. Within 24 hours, Clary is pulled into Jace's world with a vengeance. And it has uh, complete with quote by Stephanie Meyer on the front. Oh yeah. The Mortal Instruments series. Uh, the Mortal Instruments series is a story world that I love to live in. Beautiful, Stephanie Meyer, author of Twilight. Author. Yeah, that's dead center in the cover. Yeah. Yep. And that's all I've got. That's the entire. Uh, oh, we. Uh, I guess we got the um, the uh, Dark Adventure Radio Theater stuff in last year, but yes, we, we still did. have it, right? Yes. Yes, that's good, right. Good. Good. Yep. All right. Yep, we have uh, those three. We should mention those. Those are three audio dramas, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft audio dramas um, by the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society. Right. Uh, the Dunwich Horror, I did a review of that. Pretty sure I, it was me. Uh, Shadow Out of Time and uh, The Shadow of Innsmouth, which I have mm-hmm. listened to and really enjoyed, but I don't think I've written a review for. That's cool. Yeah, they're... Um they're really neat, you know, for another reason, too. Not only are they good audio drama, but they, there's a lot of extras inside the CD. I've never like little, seen anything with more extras than yeah, these guys. like little maps and, uh, um, oh, which one did I look at? Which one's, 
I can't believe I can't remember the name of it. The one where they go up into the north and uh, discover the Cthulhu. Uh, there's an there's um, the an Antarctic of, one. Frozen tundra, yeah. But that's actually Antarctic. Antarctica. Okay, which which one's that? Um, it's not one of these. Um, it'll come uh, to me. Okay, I mentioned that because there's a map and stuff that came with. Yeah, that, that's the one that I saw. I actually, they do some amazing really, content. Yeah, it was inside. really neat. I, it's all jammed into one little CD case. That's that's actually a, something I would prefer is to have it in a DVD case. At least there would be more room for all this stuff because right, right. once it's opened, I can't close it. <laughs> it's you so jam packed with stuff. That's neat. Yeah, like a matchbook or a, you know, an empty. Yeah, I think it was a matchbook with one match in it. Right. Yep. So. And it's a working match too, right? I, I think probably so. It's yep. neat. It's very fun. All right. Well, I've got um, I've got some recent arrivals myself. Uh, okay. I went to the library. <laughs> oh, uh-huh. I saw that post. <laughs> yeah, I went to the library. Oh, I yeah. should mention too. I've, I've, I've got one inside. one more too because uh, I went to the library. But you go ahead first. Well, okay. Um, I went to the library and I got a couple of big books, picture books. I'm gonna be looking through. Uh, you know, just headlines and one one book on headlines and something else, but. And I got the the Hindenburg, the uh, DVD. And uh, while I was there, I was, of course, cruising the audiobook section. And they had got in a couple of new new items that I just said, hey, I haven't even heard of these. Um, how come we haven't received them in? Hey, I'll get them. Huh. So uh, one was uh, Patricia Highsmith collection. Um, it's a collection of, of novels that were turned into uh, radio dramas for BBC Radio, um, BBC Radio 4, called The Complete Ripley Radio Mysteries. And that's a... Um, collection of four um, CDs with uh, five novels being adapted. First is The Talented Mr. Ripley, second Ripley Underground, third Ripley's Game, and final The Boy Who... Oh, wait. Ripley's Game. Uh, The Boy Who Followed Ripley, and final is Ripley Underwater. I think that's five. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Hmm. Um, And listen to the first one, and it's quite compressed, they they put in um, the entire novel into an hour, which is uh, not quite uh, – well, it's a little over an hour, but it's not quite long enough, I think, um, for the material. But uh, they do an amazing job with it. It's really well done. Um, and I hadn't heard of these before, uh, like as a – I hadn't seen them on um, radio archives, and I don't remember um, posting about them. So I, I'm very excited about these. Um, and the other one I got is uh, very short. It's half hour long. It's called Cat Wings. It's by Ursula K. Le Guin. Oh, and it's isn't that, by isn't that YA? Um, I would assume so. Mm-hmm. It says Le Guin wrote this highly acclaimed novel about a very special litter of kittens. Miss, Mrs. Jane, Jane Tabby, um, has always longed to get away from the cramped alleys of the city. She knows it's too late for her, but she thinks her longing may be the reason her litter of kittens was born with wings. Wow. When they are old enough to fly, she sends the four kittens who become known as cat wings out into the world to find their home. But they find the danger does not lurk only in the city alleyways. And um, yeah, so it's, it may not even be YA. It may be you know aimed at very, very young children. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I, haven't, I haven't started that one yet. But uh, I did notice in my research that there are other books like Cat Wings Returns or something like that. So hmm. this may be uh, a series of very short picture books that were adapted by Le Guin. 
or right, right. written by Le Guin and then mm. adapted for audio. Gotcha. Terrific. Yeah. Yeah, the one I have, um, you know, I mentioned that youth group that I do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said I got to uh, use my new influence at the library okay. <laughs> to get a hold of Under the Dome on audio first. <laughs> oh, right. I've, I've seen the paper book for sale. Yeah, and it's uh, it's something like 30 hours long. It's 1,000 pages or something. Yeah, 1,000 pages long. Um, anyway, because of the play and everything, I haven't had much time, but I've listened to maybe three CDs of it. Um, and uh, it's it's interesting so far, not... You know, I'm not completely into it yet. And uh, Stephen King, um, you know, he, he uh, you know, in a thousand pages, you know, there's a lot of uh, character stuff going on, which yeah. is part of, part of the reason why I like him. Um, but that's pretty much where I'm at. So not a lot of events have happened. You know, some major events. The major event in the story is that a small town in Maine has been domed. <laughs> has been domed, right? Uh, a dome suddenly appears over. A small town, uh, blocking. Nobody can get in or out of this place. So he's just effectively taken a small town and cut him off from the rest of civilization. Right. Um, and that's what this story's about. So, um, I, yeah. I heard somewhere else about this book that it's not a new idea. I remember I told you before when we were talking about this that it was an episode of Doctor Who. Oh yeah, um, the original Doctor Who. But uh, you know the the concept of a town being domed when people can't get in and out for you know somehow it gets domed. Uh-huh. Um, and I, and then uh, I was listening to another podcast and somebody uh, mentioned that that was the plot of the Simpsons movie as well. Oh yeah, I, I don't. And I that. totally I. I totally blanked on that until um until they pointed out but it is the plot of the simpsons movie um <laughs> mr burns is gonna block out the 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 uh sun or something no that that's a different episode or something but <laughs> well if mr burns might, turns yeah. out to be the cause in this book i'll be very upset <laughs> well the, is there a uh springfield in maine <laughs> I, there is <laughs> oh i can't remember the name of this town that's no, not, not Springfield. Yeah, it's not Springfield. <laughs> right. Although that would be very interesting, having uh, <laughs> Stephen King write write a uh, Spring uh, Simpsons novel. I can't imagine what that would be like. <laughs> Although uh, uh, they have parodied uh, his stuff on the show, right? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. They've parodied a lot of stuff on one of those um, tree houses of horror. Homer was uh, um, doing. The Jack Nicholson from Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, The Shining. So mm-hmm. it's it's not impossible. <laughs> It'd be very interesting. It will be. I was going to tell you I was listening to um, uh, Born Standing Up after you oh. you recommended it. Mm-hmm. So we, we've swapped. You you're doing Super Freakonomics because mm-hmm. uh, I recommended you give that a shot, and I yeah. did Born Standing Up. How did you like it? I'm not quite finished, but uh-huh. it's um, it's actually more interesting than it is funny. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, it's not it's not a comedy. Uh, no, uh-huh. um, but uh, like I said, <laughs> I thought they had already done his life in the movie The Jerk, so <laughs> I I'm gonna try and get that. Um, maybe the library has that as well because oh, um, yeah. it's really uh, time to watch The Jerk again. I watched <laughs> Roxanne recently. Oh, I um, love that movie. Um, it I doesn't, it. it's not quite as good as I remember. Uh-huh. Um, some of the jokes fall a little bit flat, but uh-huh. I think it's very well done. And yeah, uh, I thought it was terrific. I still yeah. have it. I, I watch it probably once a year. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I just really like it. 
Um, I wonder if there's a stage version of that. I know there is of Cyrano. I got to see, I was in Chicago one time for some uh, PLC training. Uh huh. For work. What's PLC stand for? Uh, programmable logic control. Okay. And uh, while I was there, I was lucky enough, I knew someone who knew someone who lived in downtown Chicago. So um, she hooked me up with her, and we went out to, uh, we went to see uh, Picasso at the Lapine Agil, which is. Uh, play that he wrote. He mentions it in that book. Oh, um, did uh, Martin? Yeah, it was about Picasso and Einstein. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was a very neat play. He's a great writer. I, I've yeah. been um, very. I mean, if you think back, he he was doing comedy albums for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had a book of his uh, called Cruel Shoes oh, from yeah. <laughs> years and years ago. The cruel uh, Shoes, yes, I remember that. <laughs> and uh, and he, he writes, you know, he did a novel called Shop, or a novella called Shop Girl, mm-hmm. and I think they yeah, turned that into that a movie. Time. Yeah, you mentioned yeah. Uh, listening to those. Uh, yeah. the, the company, what is it? Pleasure of My Own Company or something like that. The Pleasure of My Company, yeah, yeah. That, that's a... Um, I, that one would be harder to adapt into a film, but I'm I'm very impressed with the guy. He, he yeah, does me too. Um, he does a lot of good work, especially in the writing department. So yes, I agree. Big yeah. fan. Big um, too. Yeah, so I've been listening to that, and let's see if what what else has uh, been occupying my my ears. Um, I, I've been going. I went through. Um, Called Holmes not that long ago, that which is um, alternate uh, sort of pastiche of Sherlock Holmes stories mm-hmm. by other authors. Yeah, I saw that post. Yeah. Um, and most recently, I've been listening to something I found on Radio Archive, which is called The Further Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. It's an audio drama series um, that follows after they adapted BBC Four adapted all of uh, Sherlock Holmes's novels and short stories mm-hmm. from. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and at the end, there was still, they looked at, in the interview, they said, um, Bert Cools, the uh, adapter, looked at the numbers, and he said, you know, we're we're still getting people interested, in it, and yet we're out of material, so he decided to um, write a new series using uh, premises found in the uh, original novel, so in in many of the uh, Sherlock Holmes, if not every single one, in many of the short stories, um, there's always uh, Holmes or Watson are always referencing other adventures that they've had that haven't been uh, cataloged. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I remember in one ep- one episode or one short story, they said, you know, the adventure of the aluminium crutch, right? And you say, oh, I wonder what that is about, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what they did is is they they found uh, a story you know a story seed in one of the other stories, and then rewrote it as a um, or not rewrote it expanded it expanded that seed into a full blown Sherlock Holmes story in the style of Sherlock Holmes using the same uh, production team that did the the regular adaptations and the ones I've heard so far have been there's been one sort of mediocre one but um, they've been very good adaptations some of them are based on real history. Uh, real historical um, crime. Um, others are uh, elaborations of um, the original seed idea, but it's amazing. It's amazing that there are actually good um, new Sherlock Holmes that are in the style of the original uh, Conan Doyle yeah. stuff. Did you did you see uh, 
John Joseph Adams edited yeah, he's collection. Got a I saw collection it in a bookstore the other day. It's called The Improbable Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, I think. Right. Right. I think um, that'd be really cool to do it get it as an audiobook. Oh, it would be neat. I mean I, all, all those stuff. volumes he's edited, it'd be yeah. really cool, even if it was a subset of those. To I, have I, a, a subset of uh, those stories on audio. I, I, yeah, you know, picked it, picked it, because uh, there's a lot in each collection, right? Yeah, yeah. But just to pick 10, 10 out of each um, would be a, a great way to start it or you whatever. Bet. You bet. Did you hear uh, John Joseph Adams, is um, he's going to be helming a new magazine? Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, I so can't nice. remember what it's called. I took a look at it. That's neat. It's a science fiction magazine. It's going to be, um, well, he's coming from fantasy and science fiction. Right. Which uh, usually has more fantasy than science fiction, and he's yeah. going to one that's exclusive science fiction. And uh, he said there's going to be some sort of audio element to it as well. So that's great. That's great yeah. to know. Oh yeah. yeah, speaking of that, you know Orson Scott Card's Intergalactic Medicine Show is still going. Yeah. And I just uh, yesterday uh, got uh, downloaded the. Uh, he's well, what he's doing now is um, he's recording one of the stories in the magazine on audio um, narrated by Orson Scott Card. Okay. And, uh, so anyway, I downloaded the story. I bought the issue and I downloaded the story, but I haven't listened to it yet. Okay. So um, there's an audio element to that too. Yeah, the, it, it, they dropped that for a brief time, did they? Yeah, they did. Um, yeah. Which I think was a terrible idea because that's the big draw for me. Yeah. I think it was something that they intended to keep going with, but... Uh, what they wanted to do was um, put a Ender's Game universe story in every one, and that yeah, was going to be I, the audio. I, I, he has to write a new Ender's Game story every time. That's right. going to be hard. Yeah, hard and originally, tell. originally it was going to be quarterly, so I think it was a achievable goal anyway. But um, um, the one that's in there is called "Aim for the Stars" by Tom Pendergrast. It's twenty-one right. minutes. Yeah, great covers. His um, art. Art yeah, look on. at the. I mean, Mary Robinette Cole has a, a story in that issue. Okay. And, uh, the the cover art. Body language. That's it. It's gorgeous. I yeah, mean, it's, yeah. It's uh, it looks like it's about puppetry too, which is kind of appropriate given her uh, her puppetry background. Hey. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I like the audience is all uh, is all uh, plugged into everything. Uh huh. Although uh, there's one really really unrealistic thing in that picture. What's that? Somebody has a watch on. <laughs> Watches are only affectation now. They're not. That's true. Yeah. It's like, why would you have a watch on uh, if you have a phone? This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.